Now, I know we've got a few people here uh, that are not born in Australia uh, or New Zealand. John, you don't get off the, uh, off, off the hook. Um, so for those that aren't born in Australia, you are exempt from this next question. Can we name three soldiers? Three soldiers that died at Gallipoli? Three soldiers that survived Gallipoli? I hope we don't have a history teacher here. But I know someone who's taught by a history teacher who would definitely know the answer to that. Can we get anywhere? Any survivors? I've got two books at home. One by bloke Roy... Sorry? The one with the donkey, his name was... Simpson or Samson? Simpson. Simpson. Okay, so that's one of our, one of our dead. Uh, yeah, he died. Yes, yeah, sorry to burst your bubble on that one. But uh, yeah, he died. Um, I've got a book at home, bloke Roy Carl, very interesting book. Um, and a bloke A.B. Facey, because there was a movie I remember watching about him. But can we get that? We can't get there, can we? We can't even get there between us all. Three that lived and three that died. I've got a question for you. What do you reckon your greatest achievement in life is? If such a thing as Wikipedia existed in a hundred years time, what would it say about your life? Would you be remembered for doing anything great? Would you be remembered for just doing ordinary things well? Would any of us be remembered at all? But just like the Gallipoli soldiers... Even if we do something great, we probably won't be remembered at all. Even though they offered their life for others and risked death every day and every year at Anzac Day that most of us would have been to all along, we we, we all say, lest we forget, but guess what? We've all forgotten. We've all forgotten. The desire to be significant runs deep in our veins. Quite often when someone of fame dies... There'll be a foundation set up after them, the David Hooks Foundation, the Fred Hollows Foundation, all these pledges that I'll never forget my mate or so-and-so or or something or or at Anzac Day. And that desire to, the desire to be remembered and have significance is not new. It's not new at all. Back in Genesis, just after the flood, the Tower of Babel, there was that same drive for them. If you've got your Bible, have a look and, and just follow through with me. So the the whole world together in one place, they're moving eastward or they're moving in the east perhaps, but uh, we know that Ararat um, after the flood was somewhere perhaps over near Turkey and we know that Babel is not far from from, or the the modern Sydney, what what was Babylon which is now in Iraq. So they're moving around in eastward. Listen to what they say in verse 3. They have a few ambitions and one of them is this. Come, let us build a city for ourselves with a tower that reaches the heavens so that we will make a name for ourselves. It's this idea that they want to be great. They want to make a name for themselves. Now, there's, there's, this city is permanent. It's made of, of bricks and of tar. We can see that in verse 2. Um, they use bricks and tar. They wanted to reach up to heaven. They wanted to make something bigger than Ben-Hur so their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids and their great-great-grandkids would remember how great they were because they built this city. And why do they want to do it? Make a name for ourselves. It's all about I. This is nothing to do with honouring God. This is all about the I. So we see in verse 4, they set out with three ambitions. There are three objectives that the people set out with. 
Then they said, come, let's build a city for ourselves that reaches the heavens. Number one, they want to build this city. Number two, so that we'll make a name for ourselves. And number three, so that we don't get scattered over the whole earth. So uh, Bob the Builder, in, in some ways, when you first read this story from, from Genesis, it's like, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with working together to get something done? Isn't that like an admirable thing? You know, I love Bob. Bob, we were, we were a Bob household. We weren't a Wiggles household. We were definitely a Bob household. So I could recite these words of this song without even turning around, but I won't do it. Scoop, muck and dizzy, rolly too lofty and Wendy join the crew. Bob and the gang have so much fun. What do they have fun doing? Working together to get the job done. Anyone else remember? Anyone else a Bob fan? A few Bob fans. Thank you for the honesty of some. It's kind of good, isn't it? To work together to get things done. How great it is when the brothers and sisters come together in unity, the Bible says. The Bible praises this idea of of working together and achieving something. So in some ways, this story, it almost sounds like an ancient version, version of Bob the Builder. They come together to do something together. Isn't that good? But actually, it's not. But God isn't opposed to them working together. God is opposed to pride. To the illusion, the illusion that progress happens when we work together but ignore God. That is the significant one here. Working together, that bit's fine, but the ignoring God and the defiance here that we see. See, it wasn't admirable or innovative, I can't even say it, innovative. It was good old-fashioned disobedience. See, the real reason at at the end of verse verse 4 so that we'll make a name for ourselves, so it's pride, and then so they won't be scattered over the whole earth. But what had God told them? So what they're doing is they've got a brick in one hand, and there's a few kids that won't do this, and in the other hand, they're sticking their finger up at God and saying, no way. We're going to build this because we want to build this because we don't want to do what you want us to do. That was the real reason. They didn't want to be scattered. Instead, they wanted to make a name for themselves. Well, if we just go back only a chapter and then a few chapters in the Bible, in Genesis 1, uh, in Genesis 1, it says this, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, Um, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And then in Genesis 9, after the flood, the command again, God blessed Noah and his son saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So go out, here's the earth, go for it. Go for it. Go, go everywhere from there. So they set out with three objectives and they failed all three objectives. But the story of Babel is really a story about who the boss is. The problem of the garden of rejection against God. Who was the boss? Adam and Eve wanted to be the boss. The problem before the, before the flood, things had degraded so badly. And now the problem of Babel. What is the problem? Who is the problem? Who was the boss? Well, I am the boss. I want to be the boss of my life. Sounds very similar to many ads and TV programs that you'd see today. Because they thought they were so great in their own eyes, they didn't need God or didn't need to obey God. But great feats without God just lead to pride. What was said of the Titanic the day that it was christened, the day it was commissioned? Even God himself could not sink this ship. Great projects without God just lead to pride. So how does God respond? He responds 
in three ways. Okay, responds in three ways. Anyone feeling hungry? Roast beef sandwich. Can someone tell me what's in that roast beef sandwich? What do we got on the top? Bit of bread. Then what do we got? Bit of mayo. We'll just call it mayo. I'm not sure if it is. We'll just go with a bit of mayo. Then what do we got? The real bit bread of Brahm and me. Okay, so get your toothpicks out. Um, we've, got, we've got some beautiful Brahmin meat, shall we say. And then under that bit of Brahmin meat, we've got some more mayo and the bread. What is the centre of that sandwich? The most important thing in the sandwich? The meat, of course. The meat is the most important part of that sandwich. What's really interesting in a lot of stories in the Bible, a lot of stories in the Bible, there's often a middle point, a centre point of the story. And often whatever that centre point is, is the main point of the story. This story of Babel, you know what the centre point of it is? It's actually not the rebellion. The centre point or the, being the, or the change of language and being dispersed out, the centre point of the story is here in verse 5 where it says, but the Lord came down. So God coming down is the centre of the story. Look before that in Genesis when God comes down, he walked with Adam and Eve. Enoch walked with God. God was one with his people and then some of his people, but then God is gone. And what does God do here? God comes down. God enters into humanity and explains and shows them a lesson. That's the centre of it. That's the first thing God does. He comes down. Uh, then have a look in verse, in verse 6 and 7. What then does he do? Um, the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do all this, then, they plan to do, then, then nothing they plan to do is impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. Now, I'm not absolutely sure on this whether God's actually taking the mickey out of them. You know, they're in their sandpit building their little tower and God says, well, if they can do this, they won't. there's nothing they won't be able to do. Or whether he's making the point, they actually can achieve something when they work together, but the problem is they're doing it without me. And I'm, I'm a bit each way there, but I, think, I don't think they're contradictory understandings. I think they maybe just add to it a little bit. So what does God comes down? He comes down to confuse their language. So according to the Bible, all languages on earth, all people on earth go back to these people and all languages, before that there was only one language and after that there were many languages. So this week I've, uh, I've been doing a little bit of reading. That seems quite plain from the Bible, we're, we're told there, but I've been doing a little bit of reading this week about what people that don't believe in the Bible think about the origin of languages. Where did language come from? Where did so many different languages come from? You know, we can trace a lot of our words in English back to Latin and then, but you know, how far can you go back? And what's really interesting from what I've read is no one's got much of an idea like there's many, many different theories about it. There doesn't seem to be consensus because people that, that try and have an understanding without God are actually a little bit confused and all over the shop on this issue. And I think that's, that's quite interesting because it's not, what you would, it's not what you normally see or would expect. But here we're told this is where God separated people based on language. And because he separated them based on language... One thing that then was easier to happen was that they were scattered. So that's the third thing that God does after their confusion. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. 
And we can see that. We, we, we can see how people have been scattered over the whole earth. I, uh, I've got a lot of friends and played rugby with a lot of Pacific Islanders. And Pacific Island history and Maori history is really interesting. Like they came on boats down the centre only about 1,500 years ago. But it's amazing the navigational skills that they had and how, how far they travelled. But you can trace any group of people, you know, they're being on a travel from somewhere. So God confuses them. And he scatters them over the whole earth. It's interesting, if, if you're reading, reading through chapter 10, chapter 11 just kind of slots into chapter 10. So chapter, chapter 10 um, is, is kind of this table of nations, many of which we can kind of trace to different clans or different people groups now in different regions. Um, there's a really interesting verse, and I'm not trying to make too much of it because my jury's still a little bit out of it, um, where it, in verse 25 of chapter 10 where it says, the two sons of Eber, one named Peleg, and the name Peleg means, um, in this time the earth was divided. Peleg means division. Now, is that just a reference to what happened in chapter 11? Is it a reference more? I know there's, there's some, some, some schools of thought that would say, you know, maybe the earth was one and there was accelerated, um, accelerated continental drift at that time. I'm, I'm not going to the stake on that, but I just think it's interesting and something worthy of us just putting in our brain and kind of thinking how it all, how it all fits together. But it's very clear that they were separated from here and they were sent around the world. Now, where is Babel? Babel's about 75 kilometres south of Baghdad, um, Babylon. Now, Babylon in the Bible, and interestingly, out of the Bible, takes on this figurative kind of, kind of name. Uh, it's kind of like the personification of all evil. Babylon is painted as this evil place. You get to Revelation, it's like that. You get even to popular culture, and it's like that. Babylon is a personification of of all evil because this Babel thing in Babylon this wasn't a one-off this was not a one-off um I have with the kids um I have done for many years we have Job's rules I won't embarrass Esther and get her to share her favorite Job's rule uh Job's rule number 41 is this there is no new material in marriage okay there's no new material who grew up with the same boring stories from their father that he used to tell over and over and over again Come on, be honest. There was no, or, or who's done that to their kids? There's no new material. It's all the same. It's just another lap of the same thing. There's no new material in marriage. Babylon is kind of a little bit like that. It's the same stories, the same jokes. They're just recycled and they go around. And the story of Babylon is the same. It's not a one-off. It's a one-off in the Bible, but the figurative story of Babylon, it has been repeated and repeated and repeated throughout human history. Great human achievement without God just becomes pride. The number of wars that we could look at and the origin of them was about human pride and, and sometimes humans working together and pride. Um, there's many projects that are in defiance of God and, and you might think the UN is one of them. You may not. I don't care. It's not my point. The point is these organisations often set up without God. You might think the IPCC is one of them and if you don't know what that means, don't worry. Or you may not. But there's so many organisations that are set up in defiance to God. We live in a culture that thinks that truth is determined by feelings rather than God and his word. Whereas the Bible says we should filter everything through his word. But we need to be really careful when we think Babylon is something that's repeated itself that we don't just point the finger at others out there. Because what do you do when you point the finger? 
When you point the finger at someone else, you're pointing three back at yourself and one up at God. So it's not a great place to be. Because see, this episode of Babel has been repeated in our lives. Anytime we make plans in life and life choices without filtering them through God and his word, often through prayer, it's kind of like Babel. It's kind of like Babel. What did, um, what did this, this Babel thing, what did it achieve? What did it solve? The problem of sin that we so clearly see in Babel, it's a repeat of the problems of sin before. The, the, the problem of sin in creation, in the, not in creation, but in the garden, was this defiance against God. And why, why, did, why did God start again with the flood? Why was there this great start over? Because of defiance, because of rejection of God and his ways. And Noah himself, straight after the flood, proved that it didn't work. Sin hadn't been solved. Babel is about godless efforts for achievement. And it shows the problem of sin is getting worse and it's been repeated in my life and yours ever since and our, throughout human history. Interestingly, what is the centre of the story of Babel? God coming down. And where is the problem of sin actually solved? God coming down. Because many years later, what did Jesus do? He came down and he paid the price for our sin. Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Babel shows a historic rebellion against God. Babel is repeated in our lives, in the lives of the world and our culture, but the death and resurrection of Jesus shows the only solution to the problem is when God came down. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness and goodness towards us. Please help us to repent of the times when we have been like Babel, when we have made plans without you, And I pray that you would help us all to trust in when you came down to save us from our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.